Women Today. Pastor Mai, good afternoon. This is Women Today on Manx Radio with me, Beth Espy. And today we are once again on the Conister Rock, inviting our studio guest to share with us some memories and music. If you'd like to get in touch today, please feel free. You can text 166-177 or email studio at manxradio.com. And today I'm joined by someone who really can be described as a true Manxman through and through. And we're going to start with a brief, This Is Your Life. Born on Timwell Day in the late 1930s, Donald Gelling's CBE's political career started in Santon Parish Commissioners. During his 25 years on the board there, he was appointed chair five times. He became a member of the House of Keys in 1986 and held numerous posts, including Minister of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestries, as it was then, and also Treasury Minister before being elected as Chief Minister for the first time in 1996. He moved to the Legislative Council in 2002 and it was after the sudden resignation of the then Chief Minister Richard Corkle in late 2004 that Donald Gelling was once again appointed as Chief Minister at a time when there really was a move towards not giving MLC's ministerial positions. Outside of political work, Donald Gelling has been married to Joan for 58 years. They have four children, 13 grandchildren and two great-grandchildren. He's captain of the parish of Santon, received the CBE in 2002 for services to the Isle of Man. He's played football, golf and snooker, dislikes Facebook and adverts that never change and is always pleased to hear when a Manxie does well off-island. Oh, and when wolves do well as well. Donald Gelling, welcome to the Conister Rock. Thank you, Beth. Uh, to be here. We have a lot to talk about, so we're going to go back to the very beginning, as they say. You were born uh, to parents John and Gladys. What do you remember about your very early years? Well, I suppose, first of all, my passport has that I was born in Arbury, when in actual fact I was born in Russian, but I've never, <laughs> I've never disputed the fact. But, of course, that was in the days when the mother who was expecting went home to their mother and of course my parents were Madril and Krajeen which are good uh, south names and I was born in Nurse Krebens and of course lots of people were born in Nurse Krebens but came very very quickly to Santon and of course I've been there ever since but I think when you think of the early days it was hard because it was just into the war and of course, uh, things were difficult in the wartime. It was difficult to get things, but it was also disturbing because the men folk were all leaving and going away. And my father went away in '39. My grandfather died in '39. So basically, I was left with my grandmother, my mother, and my older sister in a big farmhouse. So you can imagine uh, I was spoiled. I suppose it would be fair to say. Uh, however, uh, it was very much a female-dominated home, and they say today about equality. However, it didn't do me any harm, and uh, basically uh, it was even in the wartime. Um, chapel was the order of the day on a Sunday, three times. Morning chapel, afternoon Sunday school, and an evening chapel. And, of course, uh, there was definitely no gambling, no alcohol, and always uh, I was always given the three whip, and that was the other was no gambling, no alcohol, and be careful with 
the girls. And did you all stick to that? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> However, uh, basically, uh, some of the things that stand out in my mind was the trek to school, which was walking every morning and home every night. What did you say, a mile and a half? Yeah, up to Santon School. Two teachers, that was all. The senior teacher and the junior teacher. And the thing that you remember is when you got there on a day like today, soaking wet, big roasting fire, chairs were all put round the fire and your coats were put round. And for the rest of the morning, you can imagine the room was just steam. It was like a steam bath. And uh, it was to get them all dry for when you were going home again. But um, things like that uh, stick in your mind because um, it was a country school. And we were taught how to grow carrots and turnips and flowers. Not much of arithmetic and, uh, you know, English and things like that. <laughs> However, um, in the, at night time, especially when Liverpool was getting blitzed, that was really worrying because we used to go down and sit out on Banner Rock, well, Banner Head at Port Greenock, and you looked just across the sea and it was so close and you'd see the flames and the orange and the red as they were getting hammered with bombs. And, uh, you know, you felt so close and yet we were feeling so safe. But these are things that stand out in your mind that, um, you know, we were very, how can I put it, uh, not favoured, but we were very fortunate, I would say, to be where we were and not being blitzed, uh, you know, by the the war effort. But there was a still a real awareness of what was going on, particularly, as you say, because your father wasn't yeah. there. And I wonder, as a as a young boy, was there any sort of yearning almost to be part of it, to be grown up enough to do it? Well, I think basically that's what happened with my father because he was farming. So therefore he needn't have gone, you see, but a lot of his mates were going and he went. And of course that was left our place totally then when my grandfather died in the hands of my grandmother and mother trying to farm a farm which was very, very difficult. Uh, but no, there was never any yearning to go. In fact, when my turn came for national service, which again was, of course, in operation, um, I went off on the steam packet boat at the age of 21 because I was doing an engineering apprenticeship and uh, you were given the five years. And I think I'm right in saying that was only the second time I'd ever left the Isle of Man. I think I went on a day trip to Landudno with my mother. Uh, but you can just imagine the culture shock of arriving in Liverpool and going down through to Bedfordshire on the train on bonfire night, you know, and then arriving into a billet of 29 other fellows from all over the place. You know, it, it really did uh, shake you up and realise that there was another place other than the paradise of the Isle of Man. Well, just going back to, to the wartime, you were seven when your father came home. What do you remember about that time? Well, of course, the thing I remember at that time was my father wasn't very uh, amid with my uh, English and arithmetic. And uh, I was actually going in on the steam train still to Douglas on a Saturday when all my mates were out in our front field playing football to do piano lessons. And I didn't appreciate that very much. So he decided that he would do a deal. I was always good 
a lighter deal, uh, to actually give up the piano, and he sent me into Murray's Road School. Well, of course, again, I just couldn't believe going from a small country school to a big school that had assemblies in the morning and form teachers. But I'll tell you, again, it was a marvellous move because that is where, from that age to 11, I got the grounding to actually go on then to Balakameen, which was the junior school, and then St Ninian's. And I often think back... I wonder what would have happened if I'd stayed. I could still grow carrots and turnips and potatoes, but whether or not I would have had the education to have gone any further. Well, Donald Gelling, tell us about the first piece of music you've chosen. Well, the first piece of music goes back to my journey, as I say, down to Bedfordshire uh, on going for national service and being in a billet with uh, all these other lads. And the only music we had was one lad had a record and a gramophone and that's all we had and it didn't last very long but um, the platters was the name of the game and we must have played it probably about 20 times if not more every night but that's all we had so it stuck in my mind the platters when smoke gets in your eyes. as smoke gets in your eyes the first music choice of Donald Gelling CBE who is with me on the Conister Rock there this afternoon and um, I imagine you know that song Inside Out then it's uh, bringing back those memories of being the only record it wasn't very long and uh, we heard it that many times did you all sing it together at some point absolutely wonderful choir (laughs) we'll be back just after this The Nation Station Manx Radio 
Women Today. And this afternoon we're on the Conister Rock with Donald Gelling, CBE. And we've just been hearing about his early school days and what it was like for him when his father returned home from war and also a little bit about uh, national service as well. Um, but let's go back to, to when you were at school because you went to Murray's Road, then to Balakameen. You left after your GCEs as they were then. Mm-hmm. What did you want to do after that? Well, I think, again, it was uh, not farming because uh, I'd had enough of thin and turnips and um, it just, um, I thought that isn't my scene, it was engineering. So I got an apprenticeship in the island here uh, for a five-year apprenticeship at EB's uh, and that was when the original EB Christian himself was alive. I just joined just before he died and a tremendous man, tremendous vision and when you think that that business had anything up to 60-odd people working for them at that time, one, one garage. But uh, it used to uh, amuse me because, of course, they used to gold me because I was young and I came in and I came from chapel. You know, I was known to go to chapel on a Sunday. And they would say, get up on that uh, milk bottle crate and give us a lecture then on what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. Well, of course, I, I never missed a chance to do that. Uh, and uh, it's strange how when you think, uh, even in them days, you know, uh, it was done in a joyful and humorous way, but nevertheless, you still had the courage to get up and tell them what you thought. That takes us on to your second uh, piece of music. What have you chosen and why? Well, again, that takes me back to the chapel at uh, Lower Santon, where we had tremendous uh, anniversaries outside. And when you think of it, uh, you know, outside in the field alongside the chapel. And it was the first time I had the courage at five to stand up and actually sing a solo. And that was what I was given to sing, uh, encouraged by my older sister. And uh, I think back in, uh, yes, that was the first time that I actually spoke from a platform, which of course stood me in good stead at the garage, which then took me a little further on then into local politics and so on, you know. Thank you. 
All Things Bright and Beautiful by the composer John Rutter and sung by his own choir, the Cambridge Singers. And memories there of the first song our guest Donald Gelling CB sang as a solo, which interestingly, as you say, did take you on to be able to do other things apart from just uh, talking to your fellow workers about what they should and shouldn't be doing. I'm intrigued actually to know what sort of things you were telling them. Well, you see, in them days... We didn't have the health and safety like you've got today. And they used to get up to some pretty dreadful pranks. Uh, in this day and age, it would be looked upon as being absolutely dreadful and probably bordering abuse, um, putting lads down pits and putting the boards back and parking a car on top and things like that, which, as I say, was just an everyday thing of teaching apprentice how they should behave and how they should listen to the engineers and the mechanics and do what they instructed them to do. But uh, certainly when you do think back, I think always I would never have changed anything. Things all seemed to move into place as my life went on and I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and was prepared to actually accept it and get on with it. I think that really was the formula. Well, one decision you must have made, though, was to join Santon Parish Commissioners. At what point do you remember thinking, that's what I want to do? I think it was because I came home from having done my national service, and uh, I better tell you before somebody rings up and uh, says, does he not remember, uh, I got a foreign posting, you see, and the foreign posting was to RAF Jerby. So I spent 18 months of my foreign posting in the RAF up at RAF Jerby. So I was living at home, travelling from Port Grenick into Douglas, down Thaltywell every morning, never thought anything of it and coming home at night. Got married at the same time because living out allowance was very handy. And uh, basically... Uh, People then were saying, well, isn't the time you settle down now and there's a commissioner's uh, election coming up? Now, again, them days, they were really, really uh, competitive. There was never a no election, you know. And, of course, I was thrown in the middle of probably older people who had been commissioners and they thought, who's this young man trying to upset the apple cart? Well, I did get elected. And it was the start of a long period in the Santon Commissioners, which I enjoyed. And, of course, I think, as you had already said, I think I was chairman five times, and it was over a span of about 25 years. But again, that was like a, an apprenticeship, uh, uh, getting ready to take the next step, which again came along quite by accident. It was never planned but it actually worked very, very well. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I'm, I'm curious to know your thoughts on this notion of apprenticeship, particularly in the world of politics, and how necessary you think that actually is to give people a good grounding. Well, I did find it that way. And I often think if I hadn't have been on the commissioners, chairing meetings, taking part in debates, knowing legislation, representing people, trying to do your best for them, not always succeeding, but at least you tried. That was the secret of people putting you back in again, you know, to continue as a representative. And when that situation did come around, that Maloo and Santon, you know, were put together, you can imagine it was an absolute ideal for me because I'd played football for Maloo, 
was on the committee, was in the Malou Snooker Club, and I lived in Santon and was on the Santon Commissioners. If you'd have tried to draw a line around an area to make a constituency, I don't think you could have got it as, as neat as what it was as far as I was concerned. Let's just pause now for your third piece of music. And we're going to go back um, to your national service days because we already heard that the Platters was um, mm. when you went over with the only record that you have. But you came home for a Christmas break and decided to bring another one back, didn't you? That's right. What did you take back yes, for them? Frank Sinatra. And I thought, uh, strangers in the night, <laughs> because I think I felt when I left the Alamann and went over there, that's what I was, a certain stranger in a big, big uh, country. And uh, it took a, a lot of getting used to, but at least I brought another record back that we didn't have uh, the same platters every night. So uh, that was another one that uh, just sticks in my mind. Strangers exchanging glances, wondering in the night What were the chances we'd be sharing love Before the night was through Something in your eyes was so inviting Something in your smile was so exciting something in my heart told me i must have you strangers in the night two lonely people we were strangers in the night up to the moment when we said our first hello little did we know Love was just a glance away, a warm embracing dance away, and ever since that night, we've been together, lovers at first sight, in love forever, it turned out so right, for strangers in the night. Just a glance away, a warm embracing dance away. Ever since that night, we've been together, lovers at first sight. In love forever, it turned out so right for strangers in the night. Frank Sinatra Strangers in the Night, the third piece of music chosen by a Conister Rock guest, Donald Gelling, CBE. We'll be back in just a moment. The Nation Station, Lance Radio. Women Today. And this is Conister Rocks this afternoon. We're joined by Donald Gelling, CBE. And before we talk more um, about your life in politics, um, let's talk about your personal life. You have been married to the very lovely Joan for 58 years. I just want to know, do you remember the first time you met? Probably, I would say, in the rain 
when I picked her up on my motorbike to give her a lift home when she had just arrived in Santon. You see, they came to live at Santon, having moved from Foxdale. And, of course, you were looking for new young ladies coming into the parish. And she was only young at the time, but, the, you know, the decision had already been made. You knew from the off, did you? That's it, that's it. <laughs> what would you say, then, is the secret to a long, happy marriage? I think is sharing everything. Uh, never go to bed if you've had a difference of opinion. Sort it out before you do. And uh, there's always a, a solution, always. Otherwise, we'd be in a terrible state, wouldn't we, if there wasn't a solution to every problem. And uh, I think that's what it's all about, is sharing everything, keeping no secrets. And, uh, and it's strange because Joan loves choirs and singing and I like football. Joan will go to the football, but probably suffer it. Whereas, you know what I mean, uh, you've got to give and take, yeah. Um, you have four children. I wonder what sort of father you were to your three sons and one daughter. Well, Joan will say that they didn't see very much of me um, because it was always a very busy time and an awful lot was left to her at home. And it was very much that she was in the house. And was, often people would ring up and say, uh, could I speak to the boss? And she would say, well, you're speaking to the boss of the house. Uh, so they got the message. Uh, but that's the way it was. I was outside. I was either at meetings or I was out working or something. Um, and she controlled inside the house. And uh, basically it worked. And uh, I think we're very proud of you know, the family we've got and what they have achieved. And would you say then you're more hands-on now with your 13 grandchildren and two great-grandchildren? Yes, I would say so. Um, because you can imagine, uh, basically, when I was in politics, you were all day and often every night there would be a meeting of some description. So it would be a case of home, tea, and off out again. And uh, you'd say, good night as I'm going to bed. Um, but uh, no, it was very much left to Joan to keep the household together. Which takes us on to your fourth piece of music. What have you chosen and why? Yeah, well, that that, that was uh, the one that, uh, again, believe it or not, in some ways I'm glad because you haven't been able to find it. I know Manx Radio have got this on, re uh, on a record or a tape uh, because I actually sang this. Uh, at a charity event and I can remember it was over at the palace and uh, that true love Joan always thought without doubt that I was singing to her. And you give 
True love, Bing Crosby and Grace Kelly, Donald Gelling, CBE, playing that for his wife, Joan. So, uh, Donald Gelling, then, we were talking about you being a member of Santon Parish Commissioners for 25 years, and you then said that when it came to your election as Malou and Santon MHK in 1986, it was like everything just fell into place. It was one of those things that was almost meant to be. It was also a time of great political change. It was when they moved from the old board system to the ministerial system. And I wonder what you remember about that time and the sort of public feeling towards it, your feeling towards it. Yes, well, I think, first of all, of having been very, very proud to be the first member for Malou and Santon and to go into our government in the Isle of Man. And I often think back being born on the 5th of July, Tinwell Day, you know, it was all there, it was all written up ready. And uh, basically going into Tinwold, it was something that the experience, the apprenticeship of being on the commissioners, having chaired and so on, it certainly did help because I was first of all uh, put on the board of agriculture, fishing and forestry, which suited me down to the ground because there wasn't a farmer I didn't know or a fisherman that I didn't know. And you knew what you were doing with turnips. Exactly. I knew exactly what the situation was. But uh, if you remember, there was a very, very sudden and sad death of the Minister of Agriculture and, uh, you know, Mr. Mardrell. And, of course, I was there in the department and you can imagine how suddenly then to be made the Minister of Agriculture, Fishing and Forestry, having the ability already there to chair and to know how to uh, project yourself and know how to bring people in and to hear everybody's concerns and all was certainly a big, big advantage. Um, I think going in without that knowledge certainly would prevent you from taking on something like that. And then, of course, I was only 18 months in agriculture and fisheries, and uh, I was plumped into treasury, which, of course, <laughs> unless I'd been moved to Murray's Road School, when I think back, I still would have uh, struggled. However, uh, that is the way it was, and as I say, I was quite sure that uh, the, that uh, permutation of Maloon Santon was a, an absolute gift for me to go in, because, let's face it, there were some very notable and popular uh, gentlemen from Balasala in the area that stood in that first election. And I was coming from a little parish outside of the main um, uh, electoral list and uh, was successful. So I always appreciated that and hoped that I did pay back those that had their trust in me at that time. Was being chief minister always your political ambition? No. Never, ever thought of that other than the fact that uh, I wanted to serve the people. I wanted to do what I could. I wanted to uh, uh, be able to help people. I think, that, And I think that's the greatest achievement is achievement. 
it's going back and saying to somebody, listen, I've sorted this for you, you know, or we've been able to do this or do, uh, do that. And that, I think, was the, the payback, the satisfaction of being able to help people. And you've got to work at it. Once you're elected, you can't just sit back and say, oh, well, I'll wait now for five years. And we worked extremely hard. And this is where the big family came in, because every Christmas we went round every house in the whole of Malou and Sampton with a Christmas card and a newsletter. And uh, I often called at some of those houses uh, on in the year and the only Christmas card to be on the mantelpiece. You know, and uh, I used to think, well, people used to really appreciate that because it wasn't just at election time that you were thinking about them. You were thinking about them all the time. Well, two years after being elevated to the Legislative Council, there was the resignation of the then Chief Minister Richard Corkle. It left a vacancy which your fellow members called on you to fill. And there was no doubt that you were seen as a safe pair of hands. And I wonder, did you have any doubts about taking it on again? No. No, it was something, again, having been there and done five years and being in the Legislative Council, I've thought a lot about the Legislative Council and the way that uh, they have tried several times to change it and uh, uh, not just in the way it's, uh, the people are elected. But do you know, when you then were in the Legislative Council and I was the Chief Minister, I then had someone else elected into the constituency who was or should have been looking after the constituency problems so to me the ideal thing would have been to have the chief minister not have constituency problems to be able to concentrate purely on the isle of man and if they were in the council of ministers that's what they could have done i i found that period very, very enjoyable because, as I say, been there, done that, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to ask you a brief question now. Do you yearn to be part of it nowadays at all? No, no. I've always believed that when you're in there, you can do something about it. And I think you did say to me uh, about people that may have influenced you in some way, right? And uh, I always remember before I stood in the election for Malou and Sampton, a gentleman, um, Lord Brooks. Now, Lord Brooks just lived up the road from us, and, of course, he was chairman of GKN, a really, really nice man, and he used to walk down the road to Port Grenick every day. That was his uh, constituent walk, if you like. And uh, he used to say to me, listen, whatever you get into, get inside. There's no use outside knocking rattling, asking questions, get in where the actual decisions are made because that is what is important. And that always was something that I thought is quite right because whilst you're around the table in the infancy of whatever you're talking about, you can have some influence. But once it's done and the legislation is, if you like, uh, legally drawn up, it's difficult then to change it. Uh, so that was one of the benefits I found that uh, basically uh, I'd been there, I had the five years again. It's funny how it comes in five years and five year uh, as chief minister, and that was that was hard when you had a family and constituents and the chief minister's job, which was a long, long hours in the day.
Well, you received the CBE in 2002 for services to the Isle of Man. Can you remember getting that letter through the door? I can remember getting it. And uh, what always impressed me was it was for services to the people of the Isle of Man. And, of course, uh, I don't know whether you've got a record of it, but I uh, wouldn't go to the palace to receive it uh, because I said I received it for services to the Manx people, to the people in the Isle of Man, and therefore, as far as I'm concerned, I should receive it in the Isle of Man. Well, up to that date, and I think it's still the same now, MBEs and all have been awarded by the governor but a CBE you had to go to the palace so I was prepared that I might very well have had it withdrawn but in fact I was really really pleased that Her Majesty said it could be presented here because again if you go to the palace who can you take you can take two now where was I going to pluck the two out of my family to go with us down to the palace whereas we're up at government house we had the whole family there you know, which which again really pleased me and uh, very proud to, to have that. But I still emphasise that uh, the, the thing I'm really, really proud of is the captain of the parish. Well, I was going to move on to that because you are very much the heart and soul of Santon. You are the captain of the parish. That role still involves a key position on Timwell Day, which is like a birthday celebration for you. I mean, and you have lived in Santon all your life. What is it about that place that makes it so special? Well, Santon is special, but Port Granick is paradise. When I left this afternoon to come in to see you, it was lovely down at Port Granick. And I said as I walked through the door and I said to the uh, the girl at the reception, only it's Beth I'm come to see. I wouldn't have come out through the door, you see. Um, it, it, it has unfortunately changed and um, changed, I wouldn't say, for the good. You know, of course, I remember when we had the school, we had the post office, we had the shop, uh, we had the Lancashire pub. You know, we people were a community. Well, when the school was closed, half went to Kueg and half went to Balasala. So the parents didn't meet up when they went to collect their children. And we ended up with Newtown virtually becoming a Kueg school looking east and the Lower Santon and the rest looking south. And, of course, Santon, unfortunately, has been thrown about something dreadful even recently, in recent times, uh, when the bishop, in his wisdom, the previous bishop, uh, decided to put Santon with Malou when we were very, very happy being with Castletown and Arbury, we suddenly were put with another three churches in Maloo. And then politically, we were plucked and put into Middle, you know, in Maroon and Bratton. Uh, so Santon just seems to be a, a nuisance at, you know, at the, at the moment. Uh, we're, we're neither one thing nor the other. But it certainly lost an awful lot of its character and uh, the community has been split, which is a great shame. Well, Donald Gelling, we're drawing to the end of the programme. We haven't really had time to talk about what it is you have against Facebook or your love of wolves, but it has certainly been a pleasure hosting you here on the Conister Rock. Um, 
We're going to talk about your final piece of music. What have you chosen and why? It is a, a musical number. Well, I think, again, living in the island and happy living here, uh, we often thought, wouldn't it be lovely to go and uh, really actually be at the musicals, particularly Joan. So we decided we would go and we would go and see Cats and Les Miserables. And to be honest, I was really taken aback with Les Miserables. Cats was great. Les Miserables was marvellous. And of course, you can imagine my absolute delight when our Manx star, Samantha, you know, got plucked out and was in Les Miserables. That really made the day for me because she sang at my 70th birthday. Sam, she flew home from London especially to sing, you know, for me on my 70th birthday. So that's got a definite part in my life. Is I love the music and it wouldn't have really mattered whether it was which of the songs. I think they're all great. Well, Donald Gelling, thank you so much for being our guest this afternoon. You'll be able to download this programme as a podcast. But to finish, uh, we have I Dreamed a Dream. We're having the Michael Ball version, which I, which I hope mm -hmm. you don't mind, Donald. Um, but we will be back at the same time on Monday. Do hope you can join us then. I dreamed that God would be forgiving Then I was young and unafraid were made and used and wasted There was no ransom to be paid No sun unsung No wine untasted But the tigers come at night With their voices soft as thunder they tear your home apart As they turn your dream to pain She slept a summer by my side She filled my days with endless wonder she took my childhood in her stride And she was gone when autumn came And still I dream she'll come to me That we will live the years together cannot be and there are storms we cannot weather I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living
Women Today.